Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Thanks to MedJet for supporting the Lady Business Podcast. If you're hospitalized or your security is threatened while traveling, they can get you home. I'm a MedJet member and have been for years. Everyone who travels should be. Enroll before your next trip at MedJet.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. I'm Jennifer Justice. Today, we have the gorgeous and intelligent and dynamic Tiffany Dufu. She is the founder and CEO of The Crew, and she's wearing the most amazing summertime color. So you're going to tune in and see it as well. Hi, Tiffany. How are you? Hi, Jennifer. I'm amazing. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being on here. I know that you're incredibly busy, as we uh, all women are. But, um, you know, it's always you've inspired me for a very long time. I think you were one of the originals women that were like, you know, talking about how we we can't just do it all at times. And we'll get into your book a little bit, um, you know, later. But, you know, and just noticing that this, you know, as we grow as women in business and in life, like our community is so important and sharing knowledge and information with each other is so important. So I just consider you like an OG in the whole movement, you know, you're doing it before. I'm happy to have you on here and for you to impart your wisdom to all of our listeners. So let's start by telling us like your journey, like the crew, what it is and how you got there. Oh, Well, the most important thing to know about my journey is that my life's work is advancing women and girls. That's pretty much why I'm on the planet. And I feel that, you know, for any of us that take leadership seriously, and when I say leadership, I mean, Marshall Ganz's definition at Harvard, that it's all about taking responsibility for enabling other people to achieve some kind of shared purpose in the face of uncertainty, Mm -hmm. that it's really important in today's world that we have clarity about why we're here. You know, when you have a lot of text messages coming at you, Slack messages, emails, meetings, requests, and on top of all of that, you're trying to create some kind of impact in the world. I just think that it's really important that people know where you stand Mm -hmm. and then know what you stand for. And that's what really centers me. I feel like people make passion and purpose out to be some big mystical thing. Uh, I don't think it is. I, I don't know anybody who was walking down the street and the skies opened up and some voice of thought said to them, you're here to save the orca whales or whatever. Yeah, um, exactly. I just think that your purpose is a decision that's inspired yeah. by one or more experiences that you've had. And I feel like even though I've been in different sectors in the nonprofit sector, I've been a part of a tech startup. I founded a tech startup. I, 
used to train women to run for political office. I, I see, I'm an author. I, I do kind of all these things. I think that the whole through line is I just want the world to benefit from women's power mm-hmm. and our ingenuity and our creativity. And I don't think that it's just for women. I think we have a lot of difficult problems to solve right now in the world. And regardless of whether you care the most about this planet, our economy, education, healthcare, whatever your issue is, at the end of the day, there are people sitting around big wooden and marble tables making decisions, or maybe they're on Zoom or Microsoft Teams these days. (laughs) But they're making decisions that impact every single one of us And I think part of the problem we have is that there aren't enough women, there aren't enough people of color, there aren't enough of our LGBTQ brothers, sisters, and everything in between, people from different socioeconomic backgrounds sitting around those tables. So I've done lots of things. Uh, I've made money in different ways. I've created impact in different ways. But at the end of the day, I'm really here to try to advance women. And the crew is just my latest iteration of that yeah. and you know you know about the crew very early from its yeah. inception because you were one of the people that saw promise and opportunity in the crew and what it was that we were trying to build it's a very simple platform basically we match women in accountability circles to help them meet their life goals so think about weight watchers except for all of your goals um we're yeah. all 90 more likely to realize them when you know, we've written them down and we're tracking them and we're meeting on a regular basis with people. We've shifted models. We were direct to consumer. We're now B2B. But at the end of the day, I'm just here to help women realize their ambitions and their dreams. Just that, you know, no small feat. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So tell us how it works. So right now, Members come from our partner companies. So you will learn about the crew because your company sends an email or announcement or they host an event saying, we're partnering with the crew. Do you want to advance your goals? Here's a great opportunity to do it. And they all fill out an intake form that says, ooh, me, I want to participate in this thing called the crew. And they give us information about their demographics, about their goals, about the times of the day that are optimal for them to meet. And we use all of this information in order to match one person, seven other individuals. So we curate crews of eight and they get to know one another at an event called an inception gathering. And then they meet for 90 minutes a month at events called gatherings. We use a peer inquiry based model of them supporting one another. And all of this is powered by technology. They're uploading their goals and their actions against their goals into our platform. And we're helping them through our content. One of the things I'm really excited about is that we started to personalize the recommendations for them based on the intentions that they're uploading, the goals that they're uploading. And we're agnostic to what their goals are. So some people are working on getting a promotion. Some people are working on starting a meditation practice. Some people are working on paying off their student loans. Uh, We're here for it, whatever you want to accomplish. And so when you say your partners, are those are big corporations or big companies or? Yeah, exactly. We basically work, we partner with companies that are trying to retain and accelerate the one in four women that are considering leaving the workforce right yeah. now. Yeah. Right. And so when you partner with them, um, you know, how do you find that these women are sharing because they're all in the same company, right? So sometimes it's hard to, 
like should be vulnerable or share in particular if you're working in the same division or maybe one is a different level? How does that work? Yes. So great question. So first of all, we're focused on what we refer to as women in the middle, mid-career women. Yeah. Most important thing, regardless of the model that we've discovered at the crew, is that it's really important that you feel like you're a peer yeah. with the women in your crew. So we look at seniority, we look at age, we look at life cycle. If it is a large company, we typically do do internal matching. Um, what we're trying to make sure, though, is that no one is in a crew in which they work with the person, there are any kind of reporting conflicts. And when you have big companies, particularly ones that are international, it's they have a large enough population that it's feasible to match women in crews who don't know one another, but who benefit from having the same cultural experience within the company. So it can work. We also offer what we call external matching for companies that are a lot smaller and you just can't create the safety that you were alluding to because mm-hmm. everyone knows each other. It's just yeah. it's just too incestuous or it's too small. Um, we do external matching twice a year where you can your company can sign up and then we're matching women from the different companies. And where, oh, okay. So you could do some from different companies and then you'll... Yes. For external matching, we do that because there are yeah. some companies that don't have a large enough population that we're not women <laughs> to create safety. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So then you get, let's say you, you sign up, you're in a big company and there's a bunch of other women in that company. How long is the whole program? 12 months. So okay. you have 12 gatherings. All right. End goal is that you've met your goal. Yes. Well, the end goal is that you feel more empowered and that you've, you know, moved yourself forward. Mm-hmm. It's very simple in yeah. its practice. It's only radical because on a day-to-day basis, women in the middle spend most of our time focused on taking care of other people. You know, when you look at our calendars, when you look at the messages that are coming in, when you look at our to-do list, for the most part, we're doing things to take care of our bosses, our teens, our children, our goldfish and dogs or whatever pets we might have. Women in the middle are also managing caregiving on the other side of the spectrum. So we have our parents who might be ill or incapacitated. We have our synagogues, we have our mosques, we have our churches, we have the school PTA. We might have everything that we're doing largely is in service of some other stakeholder. Very rarely is a very busy woman in the middle carving out 90 minutes a month, every month to just focus on why am I here again? What did I say I was going to do? How am I going to move myself forward? And who's going to hold me accountable for doing that? And what is my plan for doing that? So the radical part of the crew is that it's so simple. It's just basically a whisper in a woman's ear to say, you're loved, you're smart, you're beautiful, like focus on yourself (laughs) and the rest, you know, everything else will fall into place. Well, it's not just focus on yourself. It's focus on yourself also and, and your business practice. Like we do a lot to you know, for our hair, our nails, no, 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 no. But for some reason, you know, and we hire out for all those things, right? We don't do our own nails. We don't give ourselves our own massages. We don't do our own, you know, hair, et cetera. Um, And for some reason, when it comes to work, we always are doing it for everybody else and never for ourselves. It's so true. And also 
things in relationship to work and how they intersect with one another, you mm-hmm. know, because we'll have an ambition to write a book, you know, we'll have an ambition to get another degree or to expand our platform through our own thought leadership. Well, yeah. we'll have these these ideas that we feel like will help us to catapult our career, but also to expand the difference that we're making. But it's so hard to carve out the time and to really focus on it. And yeah, and the fact that, no, trust me, it's like, we're, I'm my own worst enemy. Like I can tell everyone how to do it all day long, but God forbid I do it for myself. Exactly. I'll distract myself with all the other things, but I don't have to focus on myself. It still makes me super uncomfortable. Like, it's like, who am I to think? And I'm like, oh my God, how, like, I'm sitting there telling her all these women, which I truly believe. And like, I have to go to myself. I'm like, okay. It's like, I have to tell myself these things too. So it, we come about it honestly, as my father used to say all the time, come on honestly. But, you know, it's crazy. You think just 90 minutes a month, that's it. It's all you're dedicating, you know, when it should be more like a week, if not, you know, 30 minutes a day. That's it. Doing it. So get you in a pattern and repetitive. So and how long has the crew been around now? Since I pushed out a video on social media in May of 2018 of me just sitting on my couch saying, hi, I'm Tiffany. I'm smart. I've done a lot of great things, but the secret to my success is my crew. This is what they do for me. If you need a crew, just click this button and apply. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to know who else felt like they needed this. And that's how we got started. Hundreds of women started clicking the button saying, I want to crew, I want to crew, I want to crew from there. And this crew though, it's different than like your friends, right? It's oh, not yes. the same. So yeah. talk a little bit about that. Cause I yeah. talk, say, yeah, go ahead. So regardless of whether you're in one of our crews or you want to establish your own crew, I think there are three aspects to a crew that are really important in terms of accelerating your success. One is that your crew has some level of diversity. You know, all of us have groups of people who might support us, but who don't have enough difference in perspective to really be able to contribute to us thriving in new ways. I, for example, am a member of a sorority. I have a very proud Delta. I love my Delta Saras, but we're all African-American. We all grew up in the church. We all went to the same college. We all have the same political views. I love them. I would die for them, but they don't make the best crew. The second aspect of a crew is that there is a level of accountability. You know, if you're going to meet with a group of people and you're just excited to reconnect with them, that's one thing. But your crew should make you feel a bit uncomfortable. Meaning, you know, when I go and I meet with my crew and I know Chloe Drew's there and Reshma Saljani's there and Keisha Smith, and I know I'm going to be asked about what I said I was going to do the last time. Mm -hmm. And if I haven't done what I said I was going to do, they're going to be all up in my grill. Like, what the heck is going on? So you need a group of people who really are holding your feet to the fire in a way that, you know, you can speak your truth to them, but it's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. In fact, Um, I remember when I had a goal of writing a book, this is before my book, Drop the Ball was written. And I declared this to my crew. And for months after I would see Reshma 
So Johnny, who's one of my, who's a member of my crew at an event. And I'll never forget one time it was at our birthday party, which I feel so bad. You know, she says, Tiffany, what's happening with the book? And I snapped at her, you know, and I said, I don't know why you keep asking me about this. I'm really busy. I have two kids. Like she didn't have any kids at the time. Like I have two kids. I don't have time to write this book. And she looked at me and she said, I think chapter one should be about why women don't have time to write books. And I thought, oh my God, I have to do this or she's just not going to let it go. So accountability is so key. (laughs) The third aspect is some level of objectivity. So sometimes we have people in our lives who we imagine as our crew, but the problem is that their conflict of interest in our decision-making is just so astronomical that they don't make a good crew member. You know, you might have a best friend from back in the day who, when you say, I have a goal of getting a position that's going to move me out of the city, might feel like, wait a minute, but like, what's that going to mean for our relationship? So sometimes Mm -hmm. family members, people who know you really well, people have a vested interest in your success because they love you may not necessarily make for the best crew members. Yeah. Yeah. All three of those are so interesting and so true. You know, it's also with the last one, sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. It's a little like, um, you know, why are like, I I have friends who are like, you know, I'll be asked to like speak in, like I did something in Ibiza and then they wanted it twice. They're like, oh my God, somebody's going to fly you out. I was like, have you not seen me on the Today Show? Have you not seen, like, why are you so surprised? And my T asked me, can you watch the kids? Cause I need to do something. And my T wants you to, like, what? Like, or people I've had on my podcast, like, I can't believe you had XYZ on your podcast. Like, they're a friend of mine. They're a client. I'm like, why am I not working? It's like kind of crazy sometimes. You're like, yes. and it just seems like I have bad friends. That's not the case. It's just like, they're just close. You, they can't. I suppose it's like having, like, you know, Brad Pitt is your old best friend. It's kind of like, really? You know what I mean? <laughs> Yes, yes. And also, you know, they, that person knows all about the fallacy of Brad Pitt. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I just, you know the fallacy of me, but if there's <laughs> anything else. <laughs> but, um, you know, and then just the objectivity as well and holding you to a fire and, you know, and the, the accountability is like, is huge because that, that's like D Poku, you know, who's been on this podcast for me. He's literally been telling me to write the book and wrote an outline for my book, by the way. I know she did it. But you know, she's, huh? D wrote an outline for the book. Oh, yes, she did. She did. So when I finally get this book done, which I'm supposed to be doing, um, <laughs> she will obviously get the biggest thank you. Yes, she, um, <laughs> she will get a mention in the acknowledgments. Exactly. Exactly. But yes, these things are really important. And I'm really glad you set them out the way that you did, because I think so often, you know, even as a friend, sometimes I'm like, why didn't you ask me this? And it's like, you know what, maybe I'm not the best person because I am not as objective or, you know, I, maybe I want too much or maybe I'm too much in somebody's face. And so sometimes, you know, I think it's a really good, um, all three of them are very good, you know, things to think about when you're really trying to find the people who are supporting you in your actual work, you know, 
you, you can't have an echo chamber like you were saying either. You can't like, everything is great. You're perfect. No, no, no. It's like, you got to be able to like, think, okay, like, let's think about this a little more, you know, objectively. And, you know, what are the good and bad way, you know, things that are happening in, in this particular instance or scenario, whatever your goal is trying yeah. to, be, you know what I mean? Yeah. I learned this. I learned most things through experiences, not because like I was brilliant and discovered them. When a member of the crew who joined the very first cohort had a goal that I knew about because I had been her friend for over two decades, which was she really wanted to finish graduate school. She wanted to finish her PhD. Now I knew her for years. I had supported her. I felt like in trying to reach this goal after a year of collaborating with her crew and she just had like to get over the finish line, like her dissertation, like she had to defend and she did it. And I went to her graduation. I was so excited. I was so happy. And she shared something with me that was so powerful, which is, you know, Tiffany, I know that you love me and I know that you've been trying to support me with this goal. But I think what was happening was that the more I didn't achieve it, the more I felt like I was disappointing you. Yeah. Because of our relationship. Whereas I never felt that way, you know, yeah, yeah. the members of my crew. I just think it's so important that we value all types of relationships, but I wish we had more people in our lives whose primary purpose was just to help move us forward. I almost mm-hmm. feel like you just get separate, so a new social category. Like everybody should just have a crew. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I say it all the time when women are like trying to think about like how they are. Um, you know, moving up in their careers in particular in like understanding salaries, et cetera. It's like, you got to ask people and you have to surround yourself with those people who are going to tell you why you will or will not get it or, and be there when you do or do not get it, you know? So I, I mean, like I said, I love everything that you're doing and, you know, so is one of the things that you're doing, trying to get more companies on here. Cause I love the podcast to be, you know, ways that you can, you know, get this word out there. So if women are listening in companies and have the ability to do that, you know, they can do it. Is it, is it, does it come out of like HR? Is that how, you know, um, people find you and engage with you? Yes. So our clients, the people who make the decision are either in HR or they might be in DEI on diversity, equity, and inclusion. They might be in talent development. One of those three have a vested interest in ensuring that the women who they hire, they retain and they accelerate within the organization. And what often happens is that women who are very senior within a company do have access to resources because by the time you've invested in a C-level woman, you can't afford to lose her. I mean, it's, it's very costly, but it's often left a vacuum of not necessarily having solutions for mid-career women, for whom you have way more of them in your organization, you need a more scalable solution that feels high touch to them and that really matters to them, but that is just at a better price point and can be at scale. And so that's the white space that the crew is trying to fill for HR, DEI, and talent development leaders. 
I love it. So if anyone out there is in any of those positions listening, and I love it, also women who are listening, who are in that middle management situation and want to, you know, and want to move it forward and, and, you know, going to HR and saying, well, can we, can we at least reach out and find out if this is a program we can bring in? That's amazing. Um, I want to um, leave some time for you to talk about your book, because I think that is so important and kind of like started this whole movement of yours and, 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 you know, recognizing that we can't, it's really difficult to get everything done. So can you tell us a little bit about your book? Yes, absolutely. I wrote a book called Drop the Ball, Achieving More by Doing Less. I wrote that book in large part because I used to be someone who was terrified of ever dropping a ball. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I felt that dropping the the ball was a bad thing to do. It meant that I was failing to take timely action. I was disappointing other people. I was irresponsible. There are all kinds of stories that I told about myself. And as dramatic as it sounds, in some ways, I was disappointing large demographics of people. As in, if I mess this up, they're never going to hire another Black person again. Like, I'm going to be disappointing all Black people, you know, on the planet. And what burden though? It's a burden, right? Women feel this burden. Anyone who is underrepresented or marginalized in an environment often feels the burden of representing the others, right? Um, And what happens in terms of your behavior and your performance, if it's not up to par, what does that mean for the next person? At least if we care and we're responsible and we were raised right, um, we, we care about that. And that strategy actually worked for a long time. I mean, I was able to pretty much take care of most things until I had a life-changing event. It could be anything. I've spoken to people for whom their drop the ball moment was a diagnosis. It could be a viral pandemic. It could be you finally got the role that you wanted. And now you've realized it's a lot harder to be the boss than you thought it was going to be before mm-hmm. when you were talking about the boss at the water cooler after yeah. the meet. <laughs> for me, it was motherhood. It was the birth of my first child. I oh. was suddenly incapable of keeping all of the balls in the air. Mm-hmm. Kind of became, in my estimation, a nightmare. And the biggest, most important discovery that I made was that Armageddon never actually hit. Mm -hmm. All of the things that I was terrified would happen if I ever dropped a ball. None of those things actually happened when I dropped, I was dropping balls left and right. And no one called to tell me that they didn't love me anymore. No one called to tell me I'm not going to be your best friend. I didn't get fired for my job. I kept thinking I'm going to get fired. I didn't get fired for my job. The police never came to arrest me, which I was sure was going to happen because as part of my drop the ball fiasco, I stopped moving the car for alternate side parking in New York, which if you live in New York, is the most annoying thing we have to move the car. And all of these bright orange citations started piling up. I don't know how many of those things you get before they come and read you your Miranda rights, but trust me, it's a lot. (laughs) And so I really started questioning, you know, Tiffany, why did you kill yourself? Like, why did you feel so much pressure to keep all of these balls in the air? And it took me a couple of years. I mean, it took me a, a couple of years to figure it out, but ultimately dropping the ball now for me, I've kind of reappropriated the term. It basically means that I've gotten clear about 
what matters most to me, like Mm -hmm. sport being advancing women and girls. And what's my highest and best use for achieving what matters most? What are the things I do really well with very little effort? What are the things that only I can do instead of me saying yes to every single thing that comes over the fence? And then finally, how do I get help? You know, how do I ask for help from other people who want to help me, who want to support me if I would just allow them to and be vulnerable enough so that I can move my life forward and so that I can be a better everything, mom, wife, entrepreneur, leader, evangelist, minister, all of it. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's, it's, it's hard. Like, you know, so many, I have a very hard time asking for help, but when it comes to work, actually, I'm pretty good at like delegating and all of that stuff. I mean, I was telling somebody on a call the other day, like it's my life goal never to learn how to use Excel because there's people who do like, I don't care. Like (laughs) I look at it, you know, there's some people like when you're trying to sell like a publishing catalog and stuff, they're like, yeah, just fill in the Excel. I was like, no, I don't know what it is. So tell the player to do that. But you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff, like graphics moving stuff around that doesn't fit like that. Like I want I will want to throw the computer across the room. I'm going to hire people to do that. Give money, put money in their pocket because that's what they do. Just like they can't look at a document and figure out all the holes and how maybe to make it fit. It's best for you. I, you know what? I can't do that. And that's fine with me. Like, I'm pretty sure I could give it to my 10 year old daughter and she'll figure it out in 10 seconds. But, you know, it's like, yeah. So those kinds of things are so important, right? That being able to notice that you can, it's not possible to get everything right. My drop the ball moment was the exact same time when I had the kids. I was like, I cannot do this. I can't. You know, people like, I don't know how you do it. Like I had, you know, two of us with one kid. I was like, I'm not doing it. You're just seeing the parts I'm doing. You're not seeing all the stuff I'm not doing. That's it. That's what I feel like. I feel like women should have bios, not that are about all the things that we've done and accomplished, but like all the things we haven't done. Let's do that. Let's start a job that I got fired from. This is the job that I hated. This is like, you know, my, the top of my refrigerator. I I don't think a duster has ever really seen. There's probably a layer of something that could walk off of it, (laughs) you know, sitting up there. I think we should Instagram I got fired from the gap for not showing up one day when I was in college. There you go. I totally just forgot. I literally forgot to go to my job. <laughs> that's actually that's the best. Yeah. You know? And then I was honest and I said, I just forgot. And then he fired me. <laughs> I mean, I'm doing okay, but look how you turn. Look how you turn. (laughs) I know, and you know what? I still shop at the Gap for the kids once in a while, so you know, I got that going for me. (laughs) Oh my god! I had I told my kids out the other day, and they were laughing. They're like, "What?" And I was like, "Yeah, I know, it's a true story." Um, that's amazing. And so that book was released a while ago, right? Like, but still applicable. Everyone should do it. Every woman should read it. Everyone should understand that. What are some key takeaways other than what you just said? Like what, like when you, when people finish reading, what do you think their action items are? Well, I can tell you, cause I can tell you the questions that people ask me or what they follow up um, yeah. with. So one of the things that people are often very interested in is how to ask for help. So I end up doing quite a bit of role-playing and there's some role-playing in the book not really, it's like characters, but I actually like to help people figure out like, what do you say to a boss 
you know, because that's the most important person at work, for example, for you to drop the ball with, but no one thinks that they can drop the ball with their boss at work. But, you know, it sounds something like, hi, Tom, you know, schedule a meeting with Tom. Um, I know that it's really important that we hit our Q3 sales goal, like out of the ballpark. I want to be a part of making that happen. And one of the observations that I've made is that when I spend more time directly with the client front facing, I'm able to get them through the pipeline faster and win more deals. And so I want to spend more time doing that. One of the other observations I've made is that I spend a lot of time, you know, sitting at my desk in our CRM system, uploading data. And I'm wondering if you're open to a conversation about how I might shift my time and maybe even provide a leadership opportunity for someone else on the team in order for me to spend more time with the client to ensure that we nail Q3. You know, are you open to that? I can assure you that there is no manager on earth (laughs) that would not be open to an employee, you know, to a team member who was so self-aware, so clear about what's keeping them up at night. Yeah. And what the goal is and knows how they can contribute to it and just wants help doing that. Um, that's like a manager's dream. Yeah. And so we, t- we talk about those conversations and how to have those conversations. The other interesting thing is there's a part of the book that I didn't think was that big of a deal. It was just a document, but I get the most requests for this document. It's called a management Excel list. One day as part of my drop the ball journey, I realized that I was so much better launching projects and managing a team at work than I was at home. You know, at home, I had this thing called home control disease where you pretty much feel like everything in your home should be done a certain way, which is your Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And there's no HR or DEI leader in anybody's house to like protect the other people from the fact that innovation could come from other places. And so I sat down one day when I was walking home and thought, you know, I'm going to try to do this the way I do this at work. You know, at work, I don't, like tell everybody everything that I do (laughs) and try to make them feel bad about it and whine and persuade. So I made this document. It was called the Management Excel List because that's how I would typically launch projects at work. And I just kind of made a list of all of the things that I felt were required in managing our home. And instead of my impulse to like in my column, put a check next to almost everything just to like prove to my husband and anybody else that like I person who was doing most of the things, I just left the whole thing blank and decided that we would do this exercise together. And I learned a couple of things. One was that my husband had things that he added to the list. So, you know, whether it's your roommate, whether it's your kids, whether it's just, you know, just to be open to the things that maybe other people are doing that, you know, you don't notice. But also we had to create a column because we realized when we did this exercise that it didn't matter how many people lived under our roof. There actually were just more things to do to manage the home than would be feasibly possible, even if everybody was chipping in. So we yeah. created a no one column. And that was the column where we agreed that no one would wash the car. No one would fold the laundry for whatever period of time we had designated. And that's really important in your relationships with people, not just to make agreements about what you're going to do and what they're going to do, but also to make agreements about what's not going to happen. Yeah. 
um, between the two of you at work and at home. And I get the most requests for people saying, do you have a sample document that I can use to like create my management Excel list? We just call it Mel for short. It's kind of a person in our home. It's like, you need to have a conversation with Mel. No, you need to have a conversation with Mel. I love it. That's amazing. Well, um, after this, I think you're going to get a little influx of uh, purchases from your book (laughs) and requests for that. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I know that you have another podcast after this because you're a very busy woman and, you know, people want to hear from you. Um, So I know that we have to let you go. I do ask everyone this one question at the very end because I find it fascinating. And that is, what is the worst advice you've ever received? Oh, that's a great question. The worst advice... I've ever received was to not ask for more. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to take the first offer, you know, maybe someone knows your circumstances and they know that you really need something. Maybe they know that you really need that job. Mm -hmm. And so you say, I really need more money or I really, you know, need this benefit. And they're like, Oh, don't jeopardize the opportunity, like don't ask for more. That's the worst. Yeah. Because it reinforces your unworthiness. Yes. If someone's making you an offer, they need you. Yeah. (laughs) And that is actually the perfect opportunity to ask for what you need. Exactly. It's also, you know, it also goes to show, you know, how over time amortizing that, like if you don't ask for it, then when are you going to? And if you aren't advocating for yourself, you're going to advocate on behalf of the company. So that's how they're going to treat you, you know, on the way in. So no, I agree. I absolutely agree. And if they're going to just say flat out, no, or take the offer from you, do you really want to be there? Right. That a place you want to spend the majority of your waking hours helping them make money when they basically were like, yeah, you're not worthy. Um, Yes, I agree. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for being on. This is awesome. Now, people want to find you if they want to find the crew. How do they do that? Oh, it's so easy. Um, I'm at T. Dufu on pretty much every platform. Um, And they can go to thecrew.com and it's spelled C-R-U. I love it. Thank you so much for being on here. It was so great. I had a lot of laughs as well, which is always a good sign of a good podcast. Jennifer, thank you for having me. And thank you for all the investment that you make in women leaders and entrepreneurs. A lot of us have you to thank for the traction that we've gotten. Oh, thank you. Oh my God. Don't make me cry. Get me weepy. No, thank you so much. And to everyone listening to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business, thank you. And until next time, I'm Jennifer Justice. 49 faces looked to him in triumph. Over the last 12 months, they had each taken turns and promoted his business for a week at a time, driving over $987,342 in revenue. What if you had a network of 50 centers of influence who promoted your business every week for a year? Grab your copy of the number one Amazon best-selling book, The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Business with a Podcast, at 33% off the Amazon price by going to ultimatepodcastbook.com. Again, that website for 33% off the Amazon price is ultimatepodcastbook.com.